0: This is the Soil Sense podcast where we believe that building healthier soils is not just a prescription, but rather a pursuit. It's a journey that requires collaboration, curiosity, and communication among farmers, researchers, agronomists, consultants, and extension. You're going to hear their stories and discover how and why they're working together to make sense out of what's happening in the soil. Hey there, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Soil Sense. I'm your host, Tim Hamridge. I'm all packed up here, ready to go out to Devil's Lake for agronomy on ice this week. You might remember Jason Hansen talking about that on his episode about a year ago or so, so I'm really excited to be headed there for the first time. So you'll be able to find Dr. Abby Wick and I out there interviewing folks about soil health in the Anheuser-Busch Ice House. If you're there, please come say hi or make sure you're following along on Twitter as well. Another great episode for you here today with a farmer who's been on a journey over the past seven years or so to try to build healthier soils on his farm in Hillsboro, North Dakota, which is in the Red River Valley region, kind of between Grand Forks and Fargo. John Birch joins us on the show today. He's a third generation farmer who grows mainly corn and soybeans, but he did say he's looking at adding back wheat and sunflowers this year. John and I talk about his soil health journey, both in cover crops and tillage. He has some really practical advice about getting started where you are with what you have, and he shares openly about what's working for him and what hasn't. It all started for John when he got interested in cover crops while attending a conference in which Abby Wick spoke, and that's where we'll dig into
1: today's conversation. A conference in Wilmer, Minnesota um, is what led to that. And it was, for the first time, kind of just like my head being turned and going, okay, I can manage moisture in a different way. I can manage fertility in a different way. And I can manage my weeds in a different way. But none of my neighbors are doing this. Hmm. Okay, yeah, sign me up. But I was just like, it was clicking for me because my 2013 is when my sister and I started to farm and I came from the technology world and these ideas that Abby was throwing out there, I was like, this is outside the box and something different. And I like the concept and I like the long-term and I like what it does for the soil. It was just checking all these boxes. So it was just like... Okay, how can we start the wheels here? Like, what can we do to get going? Basically, we start with cover crop stuff. And how can we do that in regards to soil health?
0: And often these meetings are a great source of information and of inspiration. But then people get back to the farm and reality sets in. There's a lot to do and implementing new ideas seems much more difficult. John found ways to test some of his new ideas without having to go out and buy new equipment.
1: You know, as a farmer, you're trying to think, okay, I want to get this done, but also what's long-term, like what equipment do we have? How are we going to modify these things, change these things? So it's just like, okay, what, what can we do right now? What do we got? And it's like, okay, I got a fertilizer spreader of my own, pull-type fertilizer spreader, so we can put on cover crops with this, and let's get some skinny tires on it so I can do... Interseeding, but then it's like, okay, I got an air seeder, no till air seeder. So it's like, okay, come fall time, if we're doing wheat, again, I'm going to look like a complete weirdo, but we're going to go put cover crops in wheat stubble. (laughs) What are you doing out there? (laughs) You already have a cover crop. Uh, Do you think that you harvested every kernel of wheat out there? We're going to give it a shot. So Um, Yeah, that's where it kind of starts. What do we got and what do we can we start with? And then you get doing that and then the snowball starts to take effect. And this snowball
0: is going to kind of come up again and again in today's episode. But what exactly does that look like, that snowball? I mean, I could see how one practice could lead to another practice and there's sort of a snowball effect in there. But what does it look like in the soil itself? John said he could see encouraging signs in the soil that made him believe he was on the right track, but he really felt the snowball take effect when he could consider reducing or even eliminating some of his practices.
1: Uh, It was right away, like with the soil, you're seeing that soil structure. I I mean, my biggest thing is always it, it has been going to these meetings that Abby's put on. It's like, here's the soil and like. This is eroded soil, feel this, and this is good, healthy soil. As a farmer, it's like, you know, that in the springtime, like you can go grab it, and it's just like, okay, five days, I'm gonna be ready to plant here. And then there's the earthworms, and I'm like, there's earthworms, I think we're doing something right. But then it was like, we're able to start eliminating practices on the farm. You know, it's just like, no, we're not gonna rock roll our soybeans actually. We're, we're just going to solid seed into the cereal rye. And then, yeah, I've gotten lucky some years and some years not, but it's just like, okay, in those drier years, we've conserved moisture. We got this last year, absolutely, without a doubt, my solid seeded soybeans that went into cereal rye did awesome. I mean, on a year that we needed to conserve moisture.
0: And as John got further along in his soil health journey, he started to look for ways he could build on to existing equipment to fit his goals and his logistics.
1: So one of the things that we added again late in the later years, as we were evolving, as that snowball was building and everything like that, was we added a Valmar cover crop box to our side dresser. So we had that on our side dresser. So when we were going out uh, corn, we're putting usually just cereal rye down every once in a while. We'll put radishes in there as well too. But now this year, I haven't done it before. And this will be my first year when I'm talking about sunflowers, going to probably go out there. When I put on fertilizer for the sunflowers, we're going to do some interseeding there as well too. And there again, that is, I'm going to get complete credit. That was at one of the soil health conferences that uh, Abby put on uh, that got connected up with the guys, I saw that set up on a side dresser. And I was like, okay, like I got the side dresser. How much is it going to cost for this? You know, so I was just like, okay, we got part of the equation. How do we do the rest? Uh, excited about that. I actually had a good friend because I've never side dressed sunflowers before. So that'll be It'll be a new thing, side-dressing sunflowers. I'm putting a cover crop out there. But a buddy of mine actually rented my side-dresser a few years back and side-dressed the sunflowers, and had very good luck with it. So we'll do that on the sunflowers. And then wheat, kind of wheat is a little bit of, like, game time decision. So come fall time, it'll be, am I going to take the air seeder out there and no-till some of the acres and put a cover crop out there? That usually is kind of decision then also if i kind of have an idea of what that is going to be for a cash crop in 2023 it's kind of you know playing that game as well too
0: now i don't want to overuse the snowball analogy but i do like it because a lot of times farmers that have been doing these practices a long time make them look easy and it's because of this effect of momentum having built up over time And John, I think, offers great advice to just start where you are and then acquire the advice and the tools you need as time progresses.
1: You don't want to go into this just completely doing everything. And at times I thought I was. It's like, oh, I'm going to do a thousand acres of cover crops. That was a lot. But then I started adding, like uh, Abby had mentioned, doing the strip till practice. And doing precision agriculture, like I was adding these things and these practices over the years, and that's what definitely opened the gate for doing more of these practices. Basically, I was doing equip. I was getting uh, some help there in regards to cover crop stuff, but now in a five-year contract for CSP, and again, it's knowing the right people. As I talked to a farmer that's been using uh, Soil Warrior for. 10, 15 years, it's finding those people through this network that have been able to do the things that we've been able to do on the operation.
0: John says he loves the idea of no-till, and they've been very successful with no-tilling soybeans, but corn is different, and that has ultimately led him to trying strip tillage.
1: It is harder for us in the Red River Valley with corn to do no-till. So it's like, okay, how do again... Can I get there with strip till? So demoed a strip till this spring. Luckily the conditions were drier than normal this spring. Otherwise I know I wouldn't have had any luck with this strip till and I would have been very hesitant, but then grabbed the strip till machine again this fall, did some acres this fall to get ready for next year. And my plans are going to be to, you know, continue that journey. I will say this advice. In the springtime when I did the strip-till, lesson learned. The soil didn't have that natural freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw. So I was trying to go plant into something that didn't have time to break itself down, to get a good mound and everything like that. I'll be able to report back to you guys come this springtime the fields that I strip-tilled this last fall, okay, what is now their plant conditions like come 2022 here? I mean, even how I was digging up and working, the strips were doing this fall. I'm already much more confident uh, going in this spring. So we didn't even put down fertilizer. And I was just like, let's go strip till actually this quarter. And I'm going to be doing soybeans on it next year. And then we're going to just plant with the planter right in it. Usually, you know, we had always no-till with the air seeder, but I was like, no, nah, okay, we got it around. we got a few extra days. I was like, let's go run strips in between the cornrows here and then, you know, pop some soybeans in there next year.
0: Until it's just one example of why John and many other farmers that you hear from on this podcast take a practical approach rather than drawing really hard lines in the sand when it comes to certain practices. For John, a lot of it comes down to moisture management.
1: So again, this takes all my being to say this, but I'm on a Soil Sense podcast, and we didn't do any cover crops interseeding anything until this fall. Usually I interseed them when we side dress on the corn. This was a year, like I said, asterisk, and I was just like, we are concerned about moisture. Like this one year. And so that's where how I feel more confident is going back to our normal practices of I'll be able to side dress my corn, side dress the sunflowers, and at the same time establish that cover crop again. And that's my biggest deal is that I want that cover crop because, yeah, the infiltration of the moisture and what it's doing. It's a key component. That and I will say, moisture management is key in uh, soil health. I am a big, big person on drain tile. I'm not saying you got to have every piece, but again, you put all these pieces together and how everything kind of moves together. Yep, cover crops help you, but really establishing that profile in that soil and drain tile, I believe, is very key. So, We started 20, 2021. Uh, we jumped in because we did have more prevent plant acres than normal. Bought a plow, bought a stringer cart, and then bought a backfiller. So those are the three things that I bought. And then I rented out a track hoe with uh, GPS controls on it. So you set the GPS controls and you cannot go past grade. Stops you right there. And then uh, rented a mini X to do the starter holes. And I was gonna start with the 80 acre piece cause you know, start small, but again, that apparently isn't in the blood, isn't in the genes. So it's like by the time we got running the main down to the 80 acre of the home section, we ended up tiling 380 acres, for our first project. So you can really see how all of this builds momentum.
0: John went from trying cover crops to rigging up his own interceder to buying equipment for drainage tile and investing in a strip tiller. And for the strip tiller specifically, I wanted to know how he was looking at that decision in terms of the economics of making that investment.
1: The strip tiller, I'm thankful for the years prior and doing all this experimenting and then getting to the strip. And it's like, this is a big investment. So. John, you need to demo this first. (laughs) You need to make sure that this is the right fit before we just jump completely into it. So that was my biggest thing towards that investment was, okay, how is it going to work with the equipment that I have, the tractor and stuff like that? That was a learning curve as well, too. It was just like, I thought that I could use my versatile, delta track, big track, tractor, but I can't. We actually, we needed to use a row crop tractor because otherwise I was going over row and we're getting compaction on those rows that the track was covering. It's like, okay, I got this row crop one that we luckily just bought the spring of 2021, but that one needs to go on the planter it's free in the fall, but it's got to go in the planter. So, it's so yeah, the logistics that every farmer's got to do on top of it. So it's just like, okay, figure that out. Um, and then can we do it in a good time frame? Like, can we get these acres worked in the fall time? What ground can we cover? You know, the biggest thing that I will bring back to you guys as well, too, will be leaching of nitrogen. You know, I hope not to see any issues there, but that's going to be a learning curve if that's possible. But in the temperatures that we were able to do it at, I feel confident in that. And where the placement again, I like the whole concept. This was, again, what was going back to Wilmer, Minnesota, when Abby was talking, clicking. I'm going, fertilizer where it needs to be. (laughs) Yeah, this is clicking. They do have the option, I just, uh, of adding that cover crop bin to uh, the Soil Warrior. I'm not there yet. My next experiment would maybe be, like, doing the strip tiller, but doing every other with, like, a cover crop, doing one bin cover crop, one bin fertilizer. But there, I'm like, ah, we're already managing in between the rows and things like that. Like I said, we're coming back interseeding After we strip till, you know, later on. So I'm, I don't know, I'm not there yet. It might happen down the road that I'm like, ah, maybe we should add that. But completely placement of fertilizer. Let's utilize these dollars completely to our best ability. There's a little bit less room for experimenting in 2022. (laughs) uh, You know, I'm still going to do normal practices, but it's just, yeah, we're not probably going to go to some extremes that maybe we have in the past with where we are input wise on prices
0: one of the things you heard john mention there at the top of the show is that he was interested in trying these practices even though none of his neighbors seemed to be doing them and i wondered if now seven years later that maybe has changed
1: uh they're curious to know the results uh like a luke wrestler in the area he's Awesome! Like, yeah, we're we're going back and forth constantly. I am getting more and more people that are probably yeah, like on the fringes where I'm at that we're talking about different things. And the ones I would say it is sometimes a little bit of a younger farmer that's got more that out of the box mentality. I I know plenty of guys in the area that are towards uh, the older years of their farming, and they are adopting and doing great things so uh, some people it's just like no this is the way we've done it and other ones are like ah, yeah, tell me more about this and like you have mentioned before tim i'm i'm happy to share very happy to share yeah this has worked and this has not worked yeah i mean the drain tile field that we did last year fall 2021 i cover crop that afterwards so we drain tiled it, and then I um, did cereal rye and radishes out there, and like, and I'm glad I did because they're against soil erosion and blowing. Like that was huge this spring, and I I was worried. Don't get me wrong, and aesthetics suck, and driving by the field, quit driving by the field, farmers. <laughs> drive by it later. Yeah, but the one that's sitting right outside your place that you look out of your uh, master bathroom window and you're going, that CRI is so tall. And it just looked like horse. Shit. I'm going to be very blunt uh, until late June, early July. And turn around. And I, I mean, I was beyond pleasantly surprised. And I'm like, it works it works. I'm a believer.
0: And John jokes there, but this ability to stick with what's working, even if it may be unpopular or not understood by everyone around him, is something that John feels like he sort of inherited from his dad and grandpa who farmed before him.
1: My dad and probably every other way would make people turn their heads, I know, uh, for the different things that he did on the farm. And yeah, It's definitely him and my grandpa, my grandpa and how he was a business person as well, too. And his farming operation more so he ran um, a trucking operation. But it was kind of always like if if this is risky and people are saying, I don't know if you can do it. More power to me. Let's do this. So and I remember first hearing about all these programs at the NRCS that can help with this process. And I'm going. Hearing everybody at these conferences right away and at the one in Wilmer, I'm just going, oh, these guys are so far ahead. They're and I'm like, can I get there? And this was this last year was a year that um, I've been applying for four years. So I'll tell guys out there, nope, doesn't happen overnight. Keep on working at it and keep on doing different things and working with your local agents. And, yeah, you can get things done. For John, like many farmers,
0: not only is farming a job, a business, and an enormous responsibility, it's also a legacy. He says he feels the presence of both his dad and his grandpa with him
1: every day. Uh, They passed in 2012, both of them, my dad, unexpectedly in July of 2012. And my grandpa on my dad's side, who was a farmer, uh, owned a trucking company in October of 2012, and my grandpa on my mom's side in May of 2012, who was also a farmer. But like I said, they are still a part of the operation every day. And the times that we are doing this, experimenting with cover crop, or I'm having a day um, in whatever way it is, I can hear my dad's laughter of when we're scraping the mud out. And he's going, you're learning. I've been there done that. And I started my book to write to my dad of, if only I could ask you three questions, I just need three questions. Like, now I can, I can literally let, write a book of all the questions I would want to ask. And that's where it's a double-edged sword for me a little bit too, Tim, of I'm a younger farmer, come from a technology background. So it's like, let's jump in. Head first let's do this stuff where if my grandpa my dad were still here i don't know if we would have the flexibility to do what i've done all i that wisdom would be pumping the brakes a little bit more and going okay instead of half the farm how about 80 acres right and it would be a back and forth of well you went double down on this so why can't i but yeah i am fortunate we are we are fortunate still have the operation that we have because of my grandpa, my dad, and what they built. And I'm so happy that I get to continue that um, in whatever way that I can. And I'm happy, so happy, and this is a, a big plug to people out there at all that are doing succession planning or anything like that, is that my sister and I found out in 2015 that we couldn't farm together. We're better brother and sister, and we come farm together. And when my sister moved back to the area, we have figured out that she can be a part of the farm and be a part of the farm in a different way. And so, yeah, it's been a fun, fun ride in so many different ways.
0: What a great conversation, a great episode. Thank you so much to John Birch for his openness and being willing to share his soil health journey with us here today. I think there's some great takeaways there for everyone, no matter where you might be on your own soil health journey. also want to thank our sponsors of Soil Sense, the North Central Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Program, the North Dakota Corn Council, the North Dakota Wheat Commission, the North Dakota Soybean Council, the North Harvest Dry Bean Association, the North Dakota Barley Council, and Anheuser-Busch. If you're getting value from this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify, and we'd love it if you'd share your favorite episodes on Twitter using the hashtag SoilSense. We'll be back with another great episode next week.